0: Stacking them deep, selling them cheap. It tastes like gasoline, rubber, and victory. We're just out here stacking pennies. Hey guys, Corey the Joy here. You're listening to the first installment of Stacking Pennies. What is stacking pennies, you ask? Well, it's been my racing motto for the past couple years, and. It's t- about the details, right? Trying to find the small victories, keep yourself motivated on the track as well as off. But we're going to turn it into a little something different. We're going to talk about the nuts and bolts and the details behind the sport. And to do that, I got some friends along the way that are going to help me. Jonathan Merriman's is going to jump on the show. we got my friend Ryan Flores, who's a pit road analyst. Changes front tires for Brad Kulowski to break down the comings and goings of pit road each and every week. And we're going to take a little dive into Corey's stories. A little surprise for you guys. So let's get right into it. Welcome, my dear friend, Jonathan Merriman. Welcome to Stack of Penny, sir. How are you? I'm dandy. I'm pumped up, to be honest. I'm pumped up, man. NASCAR.com gave me my own podcast. I don't know who's getting fired over that or not. Uh, (laughs) Probably Chuck Bush, as he points to himself, is our producer, our fearless leader. But you know what? It's going to be good while it lasts. I can promise you that.
1: It'll be fun. I mean, uh, a lot of things, a lot of things getting ready to, to ramp up here. Not just the podcast, getting ready to go racing soon. Daytona, man.
0: Daytona 500. I can't even believe, I can't believe it's here.
1: It is here. It's not slowing down either.
0: Now, let me ask you this. What are you more important? What 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 do you get more excited about? Christmas morning or Daytona 500 morning?
1: Uh, well, I mean, I just get to watch the race. I don't really get anything, you know, I'm not winning a trophy or anything. So I'm going to have to go with Christmas simply for my own selfish reasons. I mean, I'm getting gifts, uh, but I'll tell you this much, uh, the Daytona 500 has provided some solid entertainment and uh, and in, in severe emotional ups and downs over the course of my life. They're, they're, they're both up there. I mean, you know, NASCAR fans live and die by Daytona.
0: Well, you know what? I got an 11 month old month old, so. Christmas isn't really about me anymore, so I get way more excited for Daytona Five Hundred Morning, to be honest with you now.
1: I got two kids, but I told you I'm selfish. I still love Christmas.
0: <laughs> what hey, what are you getting for what do you what's a guy like Jonathan Merriman get for Christmas? Some some white new balance two thirty eights or what?
1: Uh I'm a big uh I'm a big Nike guy with the white Nikes. What are those? The dad Nikes. I don't even the, know the name. The dad Nikes, yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. I don't even Air Maxes. I don't know. What I mean are, you gotta
1: have something to mow the grass in. The other ones get too green, you know.
0: What is it hey, what is it about? Daytona that makes a Daytona.
1: I think it's I think it's the lore, right? I mean this this was the vision that Big Bill had. Um, you know, racing on the beaches. We just did something about 1958 being the last beach and road course race, and then transitioning over to this big track and. From the get-go, you got Lee Petty winning the race, but he's not announced the winner until three days after, and they had to go back and look at pictures. So it's just exciting. I mean, it's flat out. It's been door-to-door since day one. So um, when you think about NASCAR racing and big packs and close finishes, uh, Daytona is is top tier. It's top of the list. And, you know, when you tear stuff up, you tear it up in a big way too. And, and let's face it, you know, there's action and beating and banging and bumping into each other on the track is why we watch.
0: I feel like you're referring something when you're talking about. Why well, you look? You made eye contact that with me when you said tear stuff up.
1: Well, I mean, look, I'll give you credit. You don't you don't tear a lot of stuff up. You got a good reputation. Of Did you care happen of stuff. to
0: see the last lap of the Daytona 500 last year? I don't well, know if it'll you refresh know, your memory.
1: Things happen on the racetrack. You can't avoid making mistakes on the racetrack and stuff like that. It all comes with the territory, and and that excitement is is part of the reason why we watch.
0: That's that's true. So many storylines going into this year's Daytona. Uh, we have the 20th year anniversary of Dale Earnhardt's passing 2001. We have uh, s- several new teams to the fold. We got Michael Jordan and Denny Hamlin's team with Bubba Wallace. We have Trackhouse Racing. We have Spire Motorsports essentially as a new team with myself driving for him. So, so many things that we, to be excited about. What are some things you're keeping your eye on?
1: Uh, your teammate, Jamie McMurray, um, I think that's uh... – that's going to be pretty good. I think it's going to be pretty good for you to have a teammate like that. Look, Jamie's pretty aggressive when it comes to super speedway racing. He makes a couple moves or made a couple moves, you know, later in his career that I was like, man, that guy's reckless, but it's fun to watch. Um, interested to see how Track House is going to net out this first year uh, with Suarez. I know they're really looking forward to year two when we get that new car next year. Um, and then you got Kyle Larson at Hendrick Motorsports. He's got uh, just about a year off. Is there going to be any ring rusts? I mean, he waxed everybody in dirt last year. I think he even won a dirt late model race here not too long ago. So uh, that guy seems to be in tip-top shape in terms of behind the wheel. How's it going to translate to cup?
0: Well, don't burn all your good, good material up just this early in the show. You need a nickname, and you have five seconds for a nickname that you want to be called for the rest of the show.
1: I can't pick my own nickname. There's a rule against that.
0: No, no, I want you to pick your own nickname. Do you have a nickname like your friends called you in like eighth grade?
1: Uh, nothing appropriate.
0: (laughs) Well, even better. No,
1: they used to call me Rolling Thunder at the bowling alley. Oh, Rolling
0: Thunder then. Because
1: I used to take and throw the ball over halfway down the thing. I mean, I didn't care. I threw as far as I could, so they called me Rolling Rolling
0: Thunder. Thunder. Mr. Thunder, Rolling Thunder. That's it. Dr. Thunder? No, no, Rolling Thunder. That's it. Like Garth Brooks.
1: It's like the Wild West. There are no rules, right? So we can do what we want.
0: Well... You gotta know, we're in the big building here at NASCAR.com. There are a little <laughs> bit of box that we have to play into. So let's keep the keep the reins pulled for at least the first couple weeks, and then once they stop listening to us every week, that's when we can pull out the punches.
1: Yes, sir. Loud and clear.
0: We got a killer show on tap today. We got my buddy Chase Briscoe uh, coming on the show here a little bit later, but also my good buddy Ryan Flores, who changes front tires for Brad Keselowski, will be our pit road analyst. So Jay Merriman, Rolling Thunder. I will get back to you later in the show. Let's get on Ryan Flores here and uh, see what's moving and shaking on pit road for this 2021 season. All right, now we're going from the press box to pit road. What's up, buddy? What's going on? Well, you know, we're just stacking some pennies here. I know you got some kids in the background. You're already getting ready for Daytona. What do you got going on down there?
2: Yeah, we just landed here in Daytona. I got this dirt car we built for me to drive, but I have yet to drive it. So, uh, so Logano is going to drive it at Volusia and, uh, yeah, we'll see how he does. Hopefully we got something to bring back. Wait,
0: wait, 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 wait. So you change tires and you own a car? What do you got going
2: on? I own two race cars and zero race shop. So.
0: <laughs> Sounds like a pretty I mean, good business of, opportunity.
2: Yeah. Most of the time building a midget there at your shop and then the dirt car over at Trickler's so not a bad gig.
0: And then you actually have to go on live T V and hit lug nuts for
2: eleven. Yeah, well I just do it at like it just so happens that it's on live T V. It's not really the it's not really the goal to be on live T V. Just part of it
0: so rewind to Phoenix last year and you've said it a couple times where you feel like your pit crew lost Brad because the championship which that could be under debate but I don't think it is how do you deal with that sort of stuff and also what are some moving and shaking during the off season for people to watch out for this year
2: so yeah I mean anytime you come in leading you know championship race if, if I know kind of the consensus is that Chase Elliott dominated that race but we passed them there and won the second segment we came in and we lost control of the race on pit road and we're never able to regain it so i'd say that one falls on our shoulders but uh but yeah there's been a, a lot of moving and shaking through the whole sport a lot of different a lot of different teams it's been a pretty interesting off season and uh we can dig into that there's there's some cool stuff that has gone on
0: that's that's uh, I don't that's part of the reason why i wanted to have you on because there are so many details that the broadcast has doesn't necessarily have time to cover, but that's where we can kind of take the curtain back a little bit and getting into the details of a pit stop, and certainly some details on personnel changes over the off season. And there were some big moves between some big teams with some guys poaching, some possible uh, tire changes and whatnot. What are some big mover uh, that that people can watch out for this year?
2: So I think if you just start with your your champions from last year, Hendrick Motorsports, you know. No real turnover there with the nine car, but the, the big news I guess coming out of there recently is that they did part ways with their their head uh, coach of many years, Andy Papa. And they got some uh, some new guys, NFL guy that's going to be their athletic director. So these race teams now have athletic directors. Penske has one, Storehouse has one. All these big teams they like, they actually have. You know, you wouldn't think of that, like kind of like what a college has um, with their with their uh, ads, but. We have that, and then we have our head coaches, our strength and conditioning coaches. So, um, so yeah, so they parted ways with him, and then and then filling the spot for uh, for Rowdy Harrell, who was who was killed in a car accident. Um,
0: you sound I like
2: you're
0: is, you dude. sound like you're in the middle of a one a. I mean, you might get out of the street, dude.
2: Car's honking at me. I don't know what it is, but get, yeah.
0: get out of the road. <laughs>
2: so, so yeah, filling in a spot for Rowdy Harrell, who was. It was probably their best tire carrier there. That was lost in a in a car accident. Right right over the off season. So filling that spot's not easy. And then um, I got babies in the background. We're doing all this, but the really the biggest thing that went on. Uh, we'll just talk about Gibbs. Um, so Hendrick lost JTG. They they had all, JTG as all their farm teams, and they lost them. So that's really going to hurt their depth pretty bad. Uh, I think moving forward.
0: What goes into a decision by JTG to want to swap pit crew? Uh, suppliers from Hendrick to, to Gibbs?
2: I'm not real positive on that end. I think that that, that might be up the chain. Um, a lot of times it has to do with uh, manufacturer. A lot of times, like, if a, if a lower team, like like with you last year, you know, the 32 team had Fords, so they used Penske. It's 23 this year it is a Toyota team. They're going to have Gibbs-Pay-Cruz, uh, JTG. Uh, they're obviously Chevrolet. Not sure uh, why they went with Gibbs, but that's where they're going. And Gibbs is kind of the biggest mover and shaker. Of this uh, the twenty car is is the biggest gainer, I'd say. So last year, the twenty two team, uh, Penske, our guys, Joey's team, won the Mechanics Wear award.
0: What does that Mechani- mean?
2: What Mechanics Wear does, is they give away a hundred thousand dollar Picker of the Year award, and that's based off of it, it's always in every year before twenty twenty, it was based off of a vote off of crew chiefs. Believe it or not, if you can find a way to cheat it, you can do it, and the teams no. can get together. The teams would get together and, and do different, uh, you know, figure out who they're going to vote for. Different manufacturers would do that. But this year is actually fact-based. Mechanics Mechanicsware, this past year, got access to all the data of what we would call dartfish, which gives you pit times for everybody and spots uh, gained, gained or lost on pit road. 22 team pulled away with that pretty good at the end of the year. The reason that that is important is that them being the best team on pit road, they lost their front tire changer. Who is going to be on the 20 car next year at Gibbs? Um, the team who finished second last year in the pick crew in the in the pick crew uh,
0: tell Harper we said hello.
2: Yeah, my kid's back here. Uh, the, the team who finished second last year in the Canterbury Award was the 19 team. The 22 car has taken their front changer, so they have kind of swapped. Gibbs and Penske have swapped two really, really good front front tire changers. The twenty car, the other the other interesting thing about the twenty car is they've got a championship tire carrier also from Penske and Dylan Dow, and they took maybe RCR's two best pit crew guys that they have in Jake Lind, their rear tire changer off the three car that have been there for twenty years, and uh, Daryl Edwards, the jack man for the three car. So uh, Gibbs has really has really gotten quite a bit of good guys over the winter, and Penske. Penske has gotten three guys from Gibbs that are really good. So, so that'll be interesting to see moving forward. Yeah, I don't know that that's the biggest moves for this this offseason.
0: I'm glad you listed all 400 of those personnel moves in the offseason. I'm I'm interested to get about couple those couple weeks the, in. Those are just the big ones. Uh, all I mean every single person from every single pick crew apparently changed hands. We're going to Daytona which has its own ebbs and flows throughout the race and a lot of people talk about right you don't you got to stay out of the big one. Obviously you don't want to get wrecked at Daytona, but the pit crew has a lot of say in maintaining track position there. So what, is, what are some things the pit crew, sometimes you're taking lefts, sometimes you're taking fuel only, the the boxes are narrow and slick. What are some things the pit crew you guys just get ready for and train for for, those, for the Daytona 500?
2: So one of the big things I think that is going to be different this week is on Tuesday I walked up to the car uh, in Penske this week and I asked them why the Speedway car had defrosters on it. I didn't realize that <laughs> clash was on the road course until uh, like last week so you know to get started with a road course race that's probably going to be a little bit pit stop heavy Uh, usually with the bush class you just do a right side or fuel only to kind of get into it but for the 500 really the biggest thing is you want to get it right the first time you come down it's really hard to win the race on pit road but it's really easy to lose it there. So if you get set back with a penalty or a loose wheel or or something like that where you lose track position, the more cars that are in front of you, the better chance you have of getting in a wreck. Heard so, that. Is, so in a lot of these speedway races, um, whoever can get the lead and control the race, you know, with the way that these cars have been drafting, you, you definitely want to be the leader. If you can keep your guy up front all day, stay out of the mess, really have a, a way better shot. Daytona is a challenge in its own because a lot of these racetracks we go to, cars get a lap down and when cars are a lap down all the cars that aren't on the lead lap have to pit the second time by so when you have the whole field on the lead lap pit road becomes a very 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 busy place and it's easy to uh to get clipped to get uh there's a lot that goes in there if there's a guy that's pitted in front of you cutting off your line being able to get to the car slowing your pit stop down a second or two you lose a second or two on a pit stop that's five to ten spots on pit road so it's quite a bit
0: yeah, and you, you'll notice a lot of guys get damage on pit road by turning in or out of the box. So you don't get the chance to take a break on pit road anymore, because you're trying to stack pennies with rolling speeds. You're trying to get tenths of a second on that pit stop. Don't let me hold you up, man. I know you're trying to cross a one a with a handful of kids. So
2: hey, I'm here. We're parked at the hotel. I'm ready to go. We're in. We're here for speed week. So we're ready to go racing.
0: All right. I'll see you down there, buddy. Hit all those lug nuts. Don't miss any. And I'll uh, I'll see you down there.
2: All right. See you.
4: The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite
0: podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. All right, guys, the first guest on Stack and Pennies as we know it. Welcome to 2021 Snoco rookie of your contender, Chase David Wayne Briscoe. Welcome to the floor.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Um, man, uh, we are about to enter the biggest week of your life, and where what like what are you thinking about right now?
3: Yeah, I don't. I'm not nervous. I'm just very curious to see what it's like. You know, I've watched these guys on TV for so long and been fans of a, a ton of them. You know, I'm just very curious to see what it's going to be like to be out on the racetrack with a lot of them. Um, you know, as you know, I feel like the Xfinity and the truck super speedway races are totally different than in the intensity and everything that goes along with the Cup races. So I don't know. I'm just curious to see what it's finally like, and uh, I'm just going to try not to do anything stupid. I feel like that's a, a good first race mentality: is just try to finish and not be the guy that takes out a lot of people. So that's kind of it's good goal for next week. Yeah, those are good yeah. goals.
0: Now, <clears throat> what a, before we get into the weeds of what people can watch on TV every week, because that's stuff that tells the story itself. I want to talk about the stuff that hasn't been on TV. And my first we have an interesting an interesting path that have crossed several times. You've ran my dad's <laughs> seats in all your midgets and sprint car stuff. And what year was what year was this arca race I'm about to tell a story of? Which
3: one? The one you criticized or the one you spotted? It was the same one. It, yeah, I guess it was kind yes. of, less than one. 2015.
0: 2015, right? So, Paul Andrews calls me up. Hey, 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 Corey, uh, we need we need you to help somebody out here. Go on IRP. I'm like, sure, Paul, what do you got? Oh, we got some kid, Chase Briscoe. He's going to run, like, the third car, and it's kind of like a hodgepodge deal, right? Get a couple guys and come to IRP. Sure. So, we go to the shop, and Paul's setting it up and all that, and we go a couple up. Black Mambo was there, Dylan Smith. Uh, Neil Lewis and, like, this ragtag group of bad news bears drive up in a <laughs> rental car uh, to, to like, work on this, I don't know. It, I mean, it was a couple notches short, maybe above of a tetanus shot special, but it was not the prettiest car there. And I didn't know. It wasn't the nicest. It was, it was not the nicest. And I didn't really know you at the time besides some pass-in, right, see at the shop and, and whatnot, but – we we fire off, and we were a top – you were I, – I didn't have anything to do with it, really. You were a top five guy from, like, the first jump, and that was your first asphalt experience, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, I ran, like, two races in 2013, but it was – I mean, yeah, that was, I think, my third or fourth pavement race ever. So, moral – Even just in pavement on general. Moral of the story, you
0: should have won the race and cautions got
3: – I don't think I was going to win.
0: Well, for the story and for our listeners today – you should have won the race. Yeah, we were
3: close. Yeah, we were close. Because people don't, are going to go... We five. Should well, You finished fourth, right? No, I finished tenth. You were freaking out because I freaking bombed it in there on straighter coming to the checkered. Oh, I did? I was like... <laughs>
0: Hell yeah, spotting for you. I I do remember that. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, because there was the pit sequence got wonky and we didn't take tires yeah. when we should have, and
3: that was uh, the problem. We could have ran t- five if it wasn't for that. I think.
0: Okay, that that's what that's what I remember. But I do remember you try to wipe straighter out for like twelfth place. I bet you that was like it yeah. might have been yeah, worth three hundred bucks back for nine. <laughs> Don't go bark up that tree now, big guy. <laughs> <laughs> but but now here we are, right? Six years later. We're both racing head... Years.
3: Yeah, I guess it was, yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, we our paths are crossing, and we're racing wheel-to-wheel wheel at the Daytona 500. I think that's
3: pretty damn cool. That is pretty cool. Did you do Salem? I can't remember. I did do Salem, yeah. That was the one we could have won, like, for real. If the tire strategy would have been a little bit different.
0: So, I guess the moral story is I can make a car fast. I just can't pick call. Worth a
3: damn. <laughs> I, <was> a cop, <laughs> I think it went, like, 120 laps green or something like that It. We were looking good though, is all I know. But yeah, that that is crazy to think. You know, I remember it feels like yesterday, at least for me, that we were going to IRP and and doing the Salem deal, and then now an we're, you know, like you said, a week away from the Daytona 500. It's pretty pretty unbelievable. Now, at what point did you, did it
0: really sink into reality that you're going to be driving the 14 Cup car in the in the Daytona 500 or this year in general, for for that matter?
3: Yeah, I don't think it's really sinking yet. You know, I have a. <clears throat> I think the first moment of it kind of sinking in was on Monday. I went to the shop and the car was wrapped and you finally saw it sitting there and like it's in the cup shop. You know, it's right beside Harvick's car. That was like, it was pretty dang cool, you know, to walk in the building and see that. But I don't think it'll really hit me, honestly, till we get going. I think it's going to be a little bit different this year, too, not racing in front of a sold out crowd. Um, but I think, you know, once we finally strap in, I'm I'm rolling around out there under caution. I think that's when it will probably finally hit me.
0: For sure. And I think that, you know, the moment doesn't feel quite as big when you're in it with the helmet on as it does before the lead up, right? The 500 is the 500 pre-race is one of those like pinch me.
3: Holy cow, this is freaking awesome. So I know. That's what I keep imagining. But it's going to be different, I feel like, this year. So I'm hoping I get another shot at the 500, hopefully. I, I
0: believe that you will. Um but regardless, even if there's 10 people in the stands and they pop those little, whatever, those little smoke bombs off the driver intros, those will definitely make the hair in the back of your neck stand up. So be ready for that. All righty. Man, I wanted to I wanted to talk a little bit about the, what for me really solidified you as like the guy that differentiated yourself from like the group that you were racing with the Xfinity Series last year. With the roller coaster of emotions that, encompassed that Darlington win when you and Cobbleish went head to head and you won that race pretty much it was made of been the first or second race after the quarantine I wanted to kind of get inside your head a little bit on how you compartmentalized all that and how you overcame and just where just I mean from the h- highest to highs to lowest to low just kind of give me a little bit of insight there
3: Yeah it was a uh, you know crazy week in general you know, thinking we're going back racing, you know, we'd been under COVID lockdown for two and a half months and, you know, you're excited just to get back going. And uh, I forget what night the race was supposed to be on. i say it was a Monday or something like that. You know, I'm down there, Stuart Haas had sent like a, a marketing motor home for me and Cole to be able to hang out in. And, you know, I got, I drove down early. Um, we had to be there four hours in advance. And I think I ended up driving down, you know, Five or six hours early because my wife had a doctor's appointment and I wanted to make sure that I wasn't driving so I could FaceTime her. Um, I get down there and, you know, we do the FaceTime thing and, uh, you know, they have a kind of trouble on the ultrasound finding anything and they, they're like, hey, we're going to go get another doctor. You know, don't worry. Everything's fine. And we sit there for probably 15, 20 minutes and, you know, mind you, we're, you know, three or four hours from racing. And then they, they tell us that there's no heartbeat and, you know, those, three or four hours were probably the hardest three or four hours of my life. You know, just the worst part was not being able to be home, uh, knowing that we were going to race and then, you know, it's just raining. So then if I do get to go home and we end up racing, it's going to be 10, 11 o'clock at night till we even start. And I know my wife is literally, you know, just hurting bad at home and I can't do anything about it. So that was probably the hardest part knowing I couldn't do anything. You know, I was just sitting there stuck and then, uh, you know, to, to end up getting the race rained out and have to go back home and then, you know, be able to spend the next day with her, uh, you know, and then knowing that I was gonna have to leave her again and then she knew that I was gonna have to leave again. That was that was hard. And then, you know, we go down there and I didn't necessarily want to race. Um I knew it was probably gonna be the best thing for me, but, you know, my my head definitely wasn't in it, to say the least. And uh, we go down there and I remember before I left, I was told her, I was like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to win for you. And I mean, I said it, but I don't think I really meant it. Uh, it was one of those like, Hey, you know, I'm going to go do this for you. And I didn't really necessarily believe it was going to happen. And we went down there and I remember the first 20, 30 laps, I was out of control, you know, I felt like I hadn't been in a race car in five years. And then obviously, you know, Darlington super hard, just in general, just take off and go. So then it made it even harder. And then, you know, it just took me a little while to kind of get my head right And the whole first stage, I'm not really thinking about driving the race car. I'm thinking about her. I know she's watching at home and everybody else. And I remember I think it was the the final stage starts. And I somehow take the lead on a pit, pit, you know, I think the pit stop. And uh, I remember I take the green, kind of sprinkling a little bit. And I'm in the lead. And I'm like, man, I know that she's watching, her family's watching, my family's watching. All these people and all these emotions started kind of hitting me all at once. And I, I started crying then. And then the race goes on, you know, I think 60-something laps, and I end up losing the lead with like 25, 30 to go. And I'm like, this is unbelievable. And I'm going to throw this thing away. I drove the tires off the thing. And uh, there were so many times, you know, in, in that little section of the race where I I should have knocked the wall down. I somehow didn't. You know, I had no idea how I didn't do it. And the caution comes out, and I end up getting the lead. And Kyle Busch is restarting, I think, third or fourth. You know, there's eight to go, so you're like, man, this is this is going to be tough right here. And I remember Alguer started beside me, and actually beat me to turn one, and I I turned down the racetrack and kind of like rubbed his door to slow him down so I could get back to his outside. And I end up taking the lead out of two, and then those final seven laps, you know, they're, I literally every single corner I thought I was knocking the wall down. The most, right it. the
0: most exciting finish of the 2020 season. By a long shot. If anybody hasn't watched those last seven laps after that restart of that Darlington race, a thousand percent recommend going to do it. So, man, that <laughs> I can't. It was intense. It was it was intense. Now, when you get into a knockdown dragout with Rowdy, right? I, I would imagine that you are fully fully committed and not really thinking about you know when she kind of in the rhythm. Uh, of what might have been on your mind at the beginning of the race, because you, you don't, you don't overcome and, and, and do what you do on the racetrack there with, if your mind's thinking about anything else.
3: Well, actually I felt like it was totally thinking about that because I, I was like, you know, there's six, five, four, three, two laps to go. And I'm like, I cannot get beat now. Like in the run second after doing this, you know, all the way to this point and, I come to take the white flag, and I knock the wall down. I mean, knock it down. And uh, I remember he was, like, all but clear of me getting into one, and I just held it wide open. I was like, if I hit the fence, like, there ain't no way he's going to drive it in any deeper than I do right here. And I end up hitting the wall and bouncing off and actually gaining speed, and I was kind of in tears the last couple laps. And then I, when I hit the checkered, I mean, I freaking started falling. I think just because I'd held my emotions in the whole time from Marissa trying to not let her see, you know, what I was going through. And when I finally won, you know, all those emotions came out, and obviously it, it ended up working out. But, yeah, I felt like, if anything, I was thinking about the more of those last six, seven laps because I, I knew I was never going to hear the end of it. If I uh, threw it away, you know, that close to the end. For sure.
0: Now, something that, like, the moral of that story, that's what I think is going to translate to Sunday racing, really applicably would be just like the mental strength and the mental toughness that takes. Because in the Cup Series, there's 30 guys that have a pretty solid amount of talent, right? But the difference at that point is comes the mental toughness and just working on some weaknesses and getting better. So I definitely think, I mean, that's why the whole weekend, dealing with what you were dealing with and, and with the ending result being you beat Kyle Bush. Mm-hmm. I think that uh it'll definitely translate into Sunday pretty well.
3: I hope so. I'm excited to, to kind of see. I know that race did a ton for, you know, my career obviously, but you know, just from a personal standpoint, I felt like, you know, that was really the race that, that turned my career around. But also just from a, a personal standpoint, you know, I was like, let's be Kyle Bush. Like I can I can do this thing. Like it's not it's not impossible. You know, before Kyle would enter a race and you know, at least for me, I went to the racetrack. I was like, oh, Kyle's in it. There ain't no way we can win this week. Yeah. And then once you do it once, you're like, I can beat him. Like, he's just another guy. So yeah. I think from a confidence standpoint, you know, that race was huge for me. and I, I felt like I really carried that confidence throughout the year.
0: And you and you just touched on it. I wanted to bring it back up. There, a turning point for your career. I feel like your career and mine have been pretty similar in ways where there's been some pretty uh, aggressive I guess, stops, if you will, to where, like, if it was not a certain outcome, your career wouldn't be as it is today. Now, everybody has that one moment in their career. They can kind of pinpoint, like, that's where the trajectory of my career changed. What would that be for you?
3: Oh, there's a lot. I feel like there's been so many times my career was over, but I would say that the biggest is probably the Roble. Um, You know, I, I felt like for sure I was going to lose my Ford deal in 2018 if I don't win that race. So, for me i would say the roval was the one that you know got me another opportunity and then you know truthfully there's been times after that where my career was close to being over and i didn't necessarily win the race but the roval for sure if i don't win that race there's there's no way that you know i'm sitting here talking right now about running the daytona 500 next week i think i
0: think you're one of the better road course guys even though you're a rookie in the cup series this year just because you're i mean you you won indy which was freaking an awesome race, and some others. And Roval being one. Um, what What's the most excited track you're going to? I guess what we're going to is a Cup series that you're looking for.
3: Um. Well, the road course deal. I don't. I just hope I'm competitive. I feel like the Cup deal is a totally different ball game. Um. But from a racetrack standpoint, you know I personally i love the daytona road course and the stock car it was so fun we were slipping and sliding around like it reminded me a ton of dirt racing um you know the roval i think is really fun because it's so tight and just elbows up the whole time and i feel like a lot of commitment can gain you a lot of speed but there's a really fine line of jumping over it um indy is going to be really cool i think you know, Coda is going to be a place that I think is cool, especially just from a facility standpoint, but then even road America, you know, that place has a ton of fans and for an Xfinity race, it's packed. And now we're going to be there on 4th of July weekend. So I think that's, that's going to be an awesome weekend to go to. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited for Sonoma as well. I've never been there before. So that's one that I'm I'm excited to go try just because I've, you know, for people i talk to, they say it's kind of like Daytona where it's really slick and Dude. just slipping and sliding around. So, Sonoma's I enjoy awesome. the road courses, so I'm excited for any of them.
0: For sure. Now, when we're sitting here talking to you in December, this later in the year, what would you consider a successful year for you? What boxes do you have to check?
2: I
3: think if I can make the playoffs, that's a huge accomplishment. Um, you know, rookie year you know cole was the only one last year and without that win you know he's he's not gonna make the playoffs so for me if i can make the playoffs my first year whether that's with a win or, or by points i feel like that's a, a huge huge accomplishment and if i can make it past the first round then that's a, a huge huge accomplishment so that's my goal for the years to just try to make the playoffs you know i'm obviously going every week to try to try to win the race but i think you have to be realistic so um, yeah, if we can make the playoffs, I, I would consider it a, a successful year for sure. Where does Chase David Wayne Briscoe get his first career
0: cup series win?
3: Oh, gosh. I don't know. I'll take any of them. I'm, I'm not going to be too picky.
0: What about no, the Bristol dirt race, man? You got to be feeling pretty good going I'm, in there.
3: I'm excited for that one. I uh,
0: Give me some pointers, very, man. Give me some pointers. I have no clue. It. Just gas it just up.
3: Put your, put your elbows up in the air and just gas it.
0: All right. I'm writing it down i feel like that was pretty uh detailed get just gas it
3: and yeah just gas it and uh just watch the dirt i mean that's the big thing What
0: the hell's that supposed to mean watch the dirt
3: Just they're gonna it's gonna change throughout the race you gotta pay attention to the color you know they're gonna put some pj1 down with the water truck what's so is there gonna
0: be grass growing what what do you mean watch it where's it where's it gonna go
3: well, it's going to change colors. I mean, you've been around dirt racing a little bit. It's going to be dark brown or black slick. So what's rubber up.
0: what color's good
3: and what color's bad? Look for the dark brown. Stay out of the the black slick. Okay, that's the ticket. What about light brown? Light brown's better than black slick, but okay. it's not as good as dark brown. Noted. But now, if you see a matte black, that's where you want to be. What does that mean? That's rubber up. That's going to be pavement the racing then. Okay, that's what that's what I need. I need it to rubber up.
0: Then I'll be no, back out. No, we at don't home.
3: want that. We no. We don't want that. that That's terrible. One lane, no no passing.
0: Well, that's when we smash into each other, Bristol style.
3: Yeah, that—that that is true.
0: Would you rather start one race this season, one lap down, or eat nothing but fully loaded Martinsville hot dogs for a full week?
3: Uh, for sure, the one lap down thing. I've never had a hot dog my entire life, so – I'm for sure doing the one lap down. I started Homestead seven laps down, so one lap down would be great.
0: That's a good That's a good point. Now, what about seven laps down? Would you start one seven laps down or eat a week's worth of Martinsville hot dog?
3: Uh, like I said, I've never had a hot dog in my entire life, so What's wrong? I would be struggling that week.
0: I actually don't know if you could survive for a week eating nothing but Martinsville hot dogs. I don't know if those are nutritionally. <laughs> uh, we'll get you there. So – Seven. You'd even take seven laps.
3: Probably over the hot dog. Yeah.
0: That's probably a wise decision. A bit...
3: Probably a wise decision. Yeah, I feel like I wouldn't even be able to race if I say I did eat hot dogs and I had to eat them for a week.
0: No, no, it, it'd be out of the question. You'd be frail. Nothing left yeah, on I'd have your to boat. Yeah,
3: they not calling their lead driver. <laughs>
0: uh,
3: um. Well, why don't you? Do, why don't you eat hot dogs? Is there something weird about it? I, I don't know. I'm just a super picky eater. I've never had a hot dog. Never had a peanut butter and jelly. I've never really had any fruit or vegetable in my entire life. I uh, never had coffee. Never had tea. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm just picky.
0: We're, we're just going to have to have you on the next show just to figure out what the hell you actually eat if you don't eat any of those things <laughs> you just listed. Those are that's my entire diet. All right. Number two. Would you rather tape your eyes open to race like Ricky Rudd, or race with a rabid monkey like Jocko Flacco in your car?
3: <laughs> uh Let's do that. I would probably rather tape my eyes open.
0: Yeah, I agree. Because it'd be, it'd be hard like to fight off a rabbit of monkey. Two
3: yeah, I feel like that's definitely the better of those two options.
0: Yeah, now what if your eyes were swelled shut? You
3: actually couldn't physically see? Oh, that, see? I feel like at least if I had the monkey, I could see where I'm going. That's true. So that, that would be one of the positives. Like, so, uh, like Ricky so that's, Bobby. The, that's the yeah that's the trick about that question because if my eyes are just taped open like I'm fine but if they were swelled up yeah and that's that's a totally different question
0: so we'll go tape an eyes open like Ricky Rudd final yeah, answer let do that it sounds cooler yep all right little softball question for you Southern 500 you have to race it without a radio or without a cool box
3: uh I've never done it so I don't know but I feel like What's the temperature outside?
0: Mother's Day weekend, hot as balls.
3: Give oh, or take ninety four degrees. No, give me, give me the no spotter then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just mirroring, mirroring that thing now. Yeah. there is no cool box, cool box in the world that can cool you down when it's hot and it's Darlington. But I think, I think, uh, I don't know. I, I I'll be honest. I might go no cool box there. Because I think. I'm going I'm going Ziploc
3: ice packs down the fire suit. See, that's not a terrible idea, but I just feel like from a lap time perspective, I would lose more lap time in a 500-lap race with no cool box than no spotter.
0: All right. that tomato-tomato. That's fine. I get that. So I'll be out there it, with it some ice get. packs.
3: It gets, I don't know what the Mother's Day weekend feels like, but all I know is 2018 Chicago was the hottest thing I've ever experienced in my life, and I could not imagine – racing without a cool box in that race i could i could agree
0: with that i do remember that drip like i was dripping sweat third level of
3: dehydration before the race even started so i was in pretty good shape i remember the xfinity race there was i think 17 of us in the infield care center after it
0: it was an iv party gotta love those oh it
3: was terrible
0: man chase i appreciate the time here on stacking pennies first guest glad it was you i'll see you here next week at daytona yeah i'm
3: looking forward to it thank you for having me thanks boy no
0: We're back for a little game of heads or tails, Merriman. This or that. Let's do it. Heads or tails. Uh, since we just uh, got done talking to our buddy Chase Briscoe, let's do a little rookie head-to-head. Chase Briscoe or Anthony Alfredo? Uh,
1: I'm going to go with Briscoe. I think the resume speaks for itself. I think Alfredo's a talented guy. Uh, I think he's got a little bit more to prove in terms of on track to me. Uh, Briscoe, you got a nine-time winner in Xfinity Series last year alone. So um, I think, I think, guys better be worried at Bristol and worried on the road courses.
0: I wonder if Chase Briscoe actually eats chicken Alfredo. Cause I know he was talking about, he doesn't eat anything else.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I have, if you're a picky eater, most picky eaters usually eat hot dogs and like chicken nuggets, uh, but or peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So
0: next one we've got Darryl Wallace jr. Versus Eric Jones.
1: I'm on the fence about this. And, uh, I my gut tells me to pick Eric Jones, but I also know that that there's gonna be a ton of support behind that twenty three car. Uh, I'm still gonna I'm still gonna land on the Jones side of things. Uh, I think he might turn a few heads this year uh at Richard Petty.
0: And I probably should have specified these are year long head to head battles, right? So we won't yeah. know if we're correct until about November eighth.
1: And so, hopefully everyone's forgotten about our answers by then.
0: No. They are they are <laughs> On audio and wherever you find your podcast to download each and every week, we're going to pull these back up and we're going to see who's right. I'm taking Bubba here. I think that that relationship from 23XI Racing and Gibbs is going to be way stronger than people um, realize, and I think I think Bubba could be a playoff caliber guy. I don't think the 43 is with Eric Jones driving. Third, are you ready for this? I'm ready. Mr. Worldwide versus Michael Jordan.
1: I mean, I feel like Michael Jordan was worldwide before Pitbull was worldwide. I mean, that, I mean, it's really the first international athlete I ever remember. Granted, my 32 years are short, but uh, I'm going Michael Jordan every day.
0: Now, we're talking about caliber of a cup team assembled. So we're talking about Darrell Wallace's 23 car, versus Pitbull's 99 track house race when Daniel Suarez driving. Now, are you still taking that?
1: Yeah, Jordan still, all day.
0: You're still taking Michael Jordan and Bubba. Pro- I'm going with that, too. I need your hot take on this one because I have a, my particular opinion on it. I want yours. Kyle Larson versus the reigning champion. Awesome Clyde from the ch- same place.
1: I think Larson, and I know the, the Chase Elliott contingent's going to be mad at me, but I think Larson's going to outperform. I think uh, he's going to exceed expectations. He's got himself together off the track. I think he's done a lot of good work off the track. Uh, on the track, we know he's been tearing up dirt. I think it translates to Cup. Uh, I think he is the number one car in the Hendrick stable come
0: November. I don't disagree with any of that. That's a hot take, though. There's going to be a lot of our listeners not happy with that take. There's
1: going to be a ton of people. not. We might not have listeners after that.
0: So you mean to tell me that somebody who hasn't driven a cup car since March is going to come back in and outrun Chase Elliott? That's what you're Playoffs,
1: telling me? Playoffs, man. Playoff setup changes everything. You have to be good one week out of the first 26, and then you got to turn it on the last 10. Uh, I mean – Tony, you know when Tony and Jimmy were winning championships, they had little sparks, and then they kind of died down for the summer. And then all of a sudden, August rolls around, and then, you know, they're spanking people. Uh, I think that's the approach you got to take. I think Larson takes his time, gets his stuff together behind the wheel, and I think it's uh, no holds barred from there.
0: I think it's going to be a good inter-team competition between Alan Gustafson and Chase Elliott versus Cliff Daniels and Kyle Larson. So I'm interested for to see how sure. that plays out. And then let's 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 shrink it down a little bit. We got Denny Hamlin going for three Daytona 500s in a row, which has never been done. So who are we taking? Who are you taking? Denny Hamlin versus the field in the Daytona 500. I'll take Denny. You're taking Denny Hamlin.
1: Dollar for dollar, it doesn't pay out if you're going to Vegas, I don't think, because his odds are so good. But I don't know. He's just him and Gabe Hart, something about those two, it just seems to work out for them when they go to Daytona.
0: You gotta throw in Chris Lambert, the spotter up there too. I mean that spotter is just as important to Daytona as it is anywhere else, right? Absolutely. You're taking now, okay, another little little spinoff for you. Denny versus Team Penske.
1: Well, Penske's the best I you know, we can't call it plate racing anymore, but best super speedway racing group as a whole. I'll still take Denny. Uh you know, he's you know, we talked a little bit about this before. You know, Penske will essentially have five cars down there, but you have to think Denny's going to be a part of part of a group of five Toyotas with with twenty three XI there too. So basically, it's going to be a five on five matchup. I like Denny to lead the the charge at JGR. I think that's going to work out better.
0: I'm taking the field. His chances are his chances are slim, but he's done it twice before. Stay tuned to see if Denny can make a three in a row. And that's heads or tails. We're going to take a little break and come back with a little Corey stories. Every week, we're going to open some stuff up. We're going to dive in and give you some details on something you might have heard but might not. Kick back. This is Corey's Stories. The Daytona 500, up from the
4: beach and onto the most modern racing plant in America. If any one man was responsible, it was Bill France, president of NASCAR. Behind him, a half century of experience and know-how from men all part of automotive history. Auto
0: racing has entered a new era of high speed, high performance, and action. We all know about Lake Lloyd. Tilt fishing tournaments, triathlons, heck, even a couple drivers finished their race in it. But what do we know about the name behind the lake, Lloyd? Imagine, if you will, a moment in time where there's no world center of racing, no high bank turns hurling cars at unheard of speeds down the backstretch. Sure, Daytona Beach still had speed weeks, but let's be honest. Setting up a race on that scale to accommodate the growing fan base wasn't going to be sustainable for the small Florida Beach community. Something had to be done. Enter Jay Saxton Lloyd. Now I know what you're thinking and yes, we've all heard this story before but from Big Bill's perspective. But don't worry, he plays a role in the story too. Joseph Saxton Lloyd arrived in Daytona Beach with his parents at 19 years old. He graduated from Seabreeze High School, In 1926, Lloyd got a job sweeping the floors at Goldenberg-Adler Motors. This proved to be quite the fortuitous opportunity, because by 1930, Sachs, which is apparently what his friends called him, entered into a partnership with Bill Goldenberg and a Cuba-based sugar magnate named W.H. Armsby to open their own Buick Cadillac Oldsmobile dealership. In 1934, at the ripe old age of 27, Lloyd found himself at the head of the company. Due to the unfortunate death of Mr. Goldenberg in a car wreck, and Mr. Armsby's whole lack of being in the same country thing. It wasn't long after this that a big, tall, and gangly young fellow, Sax's words, not mine, came strolling into the dealership looking for work. I'll give you one guess who that was. You guessed it, Bill France Sr. Mr. France had just moved down from Washington D.C., where he had been a mechanic for a Buick dealership. In Lloyd's words, he was a competent mechanic and he needed work. So I said, "Well, we need a mechanic, so fine. Bring your tools." Come on in tomorrow morning and we'll go. France turned out to be a top flight mechanic. And of course, the whole working on cars thing helped fuel his passion for racing cars. When France asked for a promotion to service manager, Sack shot him down saying, Well, Bill, I don't think you have enough experience. I don't believe you can do the job. I don't think you have that ability. Big Bill never let him forget that. France would, of course, go on to open his own gas station and repair shop. And even though Lloyd turned him down for promotion, the two remained good friends. Lloyd was a mover and a shaker in Florida. He helped the Chamber of Commerce attract beachgoers. Daytona served on the state Chamber of Commerce, launched the Florida State Development Commission, served as the president of the National Automobile Dealers Association, and served as the chair of the Florida Racing Commission. When Mr. France started kicking around the idea of building a new super speedway, he of course talked it over with his old friend Jay Saxton Lloyd. Sax knew that if anybody could pull off this gargantuan task, it would be Bill France. Stock car pilots. Proved that performance was there. In 10 years of racing, average speed went from 70 miles an hour to 100. Straightaway speed reached 130. The cars and drivers outraced the track. Both Lloyd and France knew that the days of racing on the beach and road course were numbered, but the $2.9 million it was going to take to build the new racing palace was a tall order. The Speedway District Commission, of which Lloyd was chair, set a deadline of November 8, 1957 for any person or group to buy the $2.9 million tax-free bond issue for the construction of Daytona Beach Motor Speedway, stating, If we have not received a firm offer to buy the bonds by November 8th, we will enter into a contract with a corporation headed by Bill France to lease the Speedway land. Lloyd said the deadline was to put up or shut up. That night... Before the deadline, Sachs got a call from an exec at the Chamber of Commerce saying that there might be an interested party from New York looking to fund the project and ask for an extension. Lloyd's response, and I'm quoting here, was Bring me someone from any interested group who's willing to put up 25000 by noon tomorrow as evidence of good faith and with the understanding it will be returned if negotiations fail, and I'll postpone signing the contract with France for two more weeks. France and his associates are the only persons throughout the entire period the Speedway has been in the planning stages who ever came up with any concrete plan and stuck to it. Now we have a deal which is wholly acceptable, and we're faced with another delay while we wait for some mysterious group that will show up with some money. I think it's safe to say that Mr. Lloyd was none too pleased at the prospect of further delays. No group of New Yorkers ever turned up, so on Friday, November 8th, 1957, France put up $27,000 as an advance and signed a deal with Lloyd. It was a 50-year land lease, with a 25-year renewal option. Construction was set to begin in 30 days. France said of the deal, when the present track we propose to build is completed, we will have perpetuated racing here. It would not be possible without the tireless efforts which the members of the Speedway Commissions and many others have devoted to building a dream track. They performed a thankless and payless task and left no stone unturned. And what better way for Big Bill to show his appreciation for Sachs' contributions than by naming the former retention pond after him? Three million dollars and fifty years of speed at Daytona built this two and one half mile speedway. Now, the best drivers in America measure their cars and themselves on what is designed to be the fastest racetrack in the world. And there you have it. That is why Lake Lloyd is Lake Lloyd. I didn't know that. I'm sure you didn't know that either. So hey, I just hope I don't end up in Lake Saks Lloyd here in February. You know, after a long, hard day at work and you come home and you take your tape measure out of your pocket and you take your phone out of your pocket and you got some stuff just jingling around, some spare change. That's the last thing you pull out of your pocket. So we're gonna pull out a little spare change for you. But the problem is, we don't even have racing yet going on to even talk about. But this will be the section where we talk about some Arkham Menards winners, some Xfinity winners, some truck winners. Give a little tip of the cap to the guys who earned it. But right now, we just got to get to work. Get to Daytona. So what did we learn on our first Stacking Pennies episode? A, I got a little work to do as a monologist or whatever you call this. We learned that Chase Briscoe doesn't eat hot dogs, or drink coffee, or eat anything else really doesn't seem like. And we learned Jonathan Nariman's nickname is Rolling Thunder. So stay tuned for Rolling Thunder and Corey Joy in next week's Stack and Pen.